Money Point Seven. From the University of Alabama in Tuscaloosa, this is Aspect Radio. I'm Corey Kraft. And I'm Ben Flanagan. Now, we are joined today by my brother, Graham Flanagan, who is all the way from New York City. Here's in New York City via telephone. Graham, are you there? Well, welcome. So, let's just get right into it. The three of us are all in a bash of Woody Allen fans who have seen all 40 plus of the films that he has written and directed. And we've seen them multiple times, and that means that we might tend to be fairly easy graders on the man's work, even his most recent work, which a lot of people say is sort of fading, or his skill is sort of fading as he gets older. I mean, he's approaching 80 years old, I believe, and I still consider him to be the greatest filmmaker of all time, living or not living. He's my personal favorite, and he's someone who should be considered by all of us as one of these Mount Rushmore directors. So last night, a few hours after I saw the movie, You Will Meet a Tall Dark Stranger, his latest feature film, which is playing in Tuscaloosa, surprisingly much to Corey and my surprise, I received a text from you, Graham, shortly after I saw that, a few hours, I guess. And while I don't want really to give your verdict away right before we get started here, your text said four stars, and that's out of four, what about you? So I ask you to start off a great fan of roughly, I guess, 99.9% of his catalog. Now that you've had a night to sleep on it, do you still feel this is a great film, or do you toss credibility out of the window and just love it just because it's another Woody Allen movie? Well, you know, I, I tell you, I, I did sleep on it, and I still feel the same way. I, I want to see it again. It just it feels so good to have him back. Uh, you know, working to his standards, especially after last year with whatever works, um, which to me is one of the, you know, two or three misfires of his long career. Um, no, I, I love it, and I think it's his best movie since Cassandra's Dream. My husband walked out on me for one simple reason. I was too honest with him. I refused to allow him to delude himself. Since his divorce, Alfie had his teeth whitened and his skin darkened. You are entering a period of great fulfillment. There's no such thing as predicting the future. Will it be cash your check, darling? Sally, who married Roy, a washed-up writer at 38. Set, I quit. He tried to earn money. He just wasn't much of a chauffeur. All that cheered him up was the beautiful creature in red across the way. Sorry, am I disturbing you? No, not at all. You inspire me. Always wanted to be someone's muse. I can't be in this marriage. That man you work for, you know, the one you're always so high on. Wow. <laughs> Don't rule him out. Well, Corey, um, I mean, since he just said that, that was actually the first thing in my notes here. This is Woody Allen's best movie since Cassandra's Dream, and I know you're not a huge fan of that. I don't think it's as consistently strong as Cassandra's Dream was. I don't think that's a perfect movie because I think it really peters out at the end. It has kind of a cop-out ending. It does it. Yeah, it really does. But, no, I do, I do think that that was excellent. And, yes, I think it is the best one since that. And I think it is stronger than Vicky Cristina Barcelona, personally. But, Corey, your initial thoughts on this? I mean, I, I certainly can't say it's stronger than Vicky Cristina Barcelona, which is my pick for his best movie of the decade so far. Um, as far as you will need to tell Dark Stranger, I would not go four stars. I would not say it's a great film. I did enjoy it. Uh, but to be quite honest, this is probably in the lower tier of his movies for me. Not because I disliked it, because I, there are only like two or three, like uh, like you said, that, that I would personally say that I dislike. I think this is a good movie. Uh, at times 
is very good, but I think it does kind of suffer from uh, a lack of focus that a lot of his films as of late have suffered. Uh, that being said, I think that this has some of the best acting and the best moments in any Woody Allen movie in, I don't know, since, since possibly deconstructing Harry, in my opinion. I think Naomi Watts' performance in this movie is probably the best performance in a Woody Allen movie in a really, really long time, possibly since Sweeney Low Down. Wow. I think I think his script kind of lets his actors down at moments. I mean, particularly Naomi Watts. And I don't want to get into spoiler territory here, but uh, talk about just petering out, I guess. Uh, and you know, there there are some. You know, she she gives a great performance. I think Gemma Jones, the actress who plays her mother, gives a great performance. And then there are some performances that aren't as good. I think Anthony Hopkins starts out kind of silly. Uh, he gets better as the movie goes along, but I don't know what Josh Brolin is doing in this movie. I just don't think he's very good. Look, as Woody gets older, I'm really encouraged every day and every year that he isn't losing his drive to continue creating or flexing his artistic muscle. But honestly, as I see each of his films year to year, I really do think that his control is beginning to sort of wane. And he's really kind of losing his focus because I get the feeling, and I've heard this, that a lot of his films involve him with his actors only shooting one take and then they're done one or two takes and then he just kind of picks out of those which is the best one he's not exactly David Fincher who goes into triple digits per scene here but with this and others from the past recent past I can't really identify any sort of atmosphere or identity with most of his films including this one which is fairly bland technically you have to admit I mean it looks fine but you wouldn't know that the guy who shot Close Encounters of the Third Kind shot this movie. I think this actually looks really nice. This movie, there are a lot of really good shots in this, and that's a market improvement from whatever works, uh, which looked really bad, and you wouldn't know that Harris Savita shot that. I mean, that just looks totally bland and anonymous. There are some really nice shots here, though. There are some nice one-take scenes uh, in the apartment that really they get the job done. I'm not going to say this is like Manhattan or anything. Well, yeah, I mean, there are sort of these little filmmaking 101 moments happening where he's just sort of lets the camera go back and forth with one shot during a conversation and that's just really kind of distracting and I, I found myself waiting on the camera to get back to the other characters so that they could get their line. Given how anonymous looking his filmmaking has been this decade though, you know, at least he's putting forth some effort with, with this and with Christina Barcelona. Absolutely. Very good looking. Yeah, and at first with this movie my fear sort of came true and once again it felt like a Woody Allen ripoff. Uh, in the first couple of minutes it just seemed like one of these movies that a, a budding filmmaker who got an opportunity who was a huge Woody Allen fan was trying to make his Woody Allen movie but as it went on Woody Allen's voice and touch were totally prevalent but I'm honestly at a point now where I'm really tired of these same characters who have these same problems showing up in his movies the struggling actors the struggling writers the artists the art gallery promoters it seems like in all of his movies for like the past five or six years, there's always a young, pretty actress who wants to be an actress in the movie who just can't really find the right stride. Am I right, Graham? No, Darren's saying you would have gotten tired of William Allen's characters 20 years ago. No, but see, those, those characters were much fuller. They had more personality. They were played with more personality by those actors. And it seemed like he really 
had something to say. I think that he's actually a little more successful at portraying actors and artists who are successful. Like in the 70s where he was a successful writer in, or a comedian in, say, you know, Manhattan or Annie Hall, and then you have Hannah and her sisters where they're all successful performers. They're much more interesting. But when he just kind of the, has these empty young girls who are trying to get auditions, it really just kind of does nothing, and it serves as sort of this archetype Woody Allen character. Can I, I guess you're referring to, you're referring to uh, the character of Charmaine. Yeah, that would be the one this time. But then, you, but then you also have Josh Brolin, who does nothing for Corey this time. But I think he, look, I, 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 no, I think he gives a really fun performance. I think he's, I think he's a lot of fun, and I think Josh Brolin's doing a lot of great work these days. But again, he's just this, this writer who can't get his book published, and that's about the extent of his problems. Am I right, Corey? Yeah, pretty much. Can I actually jump in here and pose a question uh, that a lot of critics have brought this up, and I'm curious about what you have to say. Um, you mentioned the fact that 20 years ago his characters were fuller. Do you think that his use of uh, voiceover narration in this movie is sort of a, a shorthand, uh, if you will, uh, sort of like... I don't know, a crutch for him to like play back on. Graham, let me say this real fast before you respond. The narration in this movie was grating to me and positively unnecessary and even worse than the canon narration from Vicky Christina Barcelona. To me, these characters were fine and they did not need that crutch exactly what you're talking about. And I think that even if it wasn't there, we could, I mean, it's kind of an insult to the audience. I think we can conclude what's going on here based on what we've seen without this guy chiming in. It just feels like we're being helped along, like we're reading some children's book or something like that. What did you think, Graham?
think is pretty consistent throughout the movie, actually. I mean, there are some, there are some moments where he kind of disappears and then comes back, but it's pretty... It's, wouldn't you say, Corey? I mean... Well, the, I was watching the picture. The, the one, like, sort of stunning moment in this movie with the narrator to me is, is when... I, well, I don't want to get too far into character spoilers, but uh, the resolution of one of two of the characters' relationship is sort of related to is Well, judging by how many people were in your my theater last night, Corey, I'm not sure how many people you're going to disappoint here. Sure. Right. So, so Josh Brolin and Naomi Watts' characters, divorce is revealed to us via narration. We've seen that they've had a fight, and then I think two scenes later, the narrator says, well, they decided it was time to have a divorce. And, you know, that, that did sort of jar me for a moment. Like, really, we don't, we don't get to see that happen. But, you know, overall, I mean, the, the narration doesn't really bother me as much as it does some other people. Well, and even with the narration, I think that this kind of made me feel this way. I never really felt invested in any of these characters because we're given no reason to like them. And we're not given any sort of establishment other than what this omniscient presence says. And... Honestly, I bought into the situations that they were involved with about halfway through the movie. I really think that Woody, and this is to be expected as the guy ages, so I'm not going to hold it against him. I just think he's being too, just too loyal to his blueprint, and these movies are becoming very formulaic with some exceptions. I don't think that this movie necessarily counts because I think it's one of his stronger movies of this decade. I will say that because I found myself enjoying it for the hour and 40 minutes or however long it is. I feel like every other movie... Every other movie, I guess, in his filmography, when he sort of recaptures a little ambition to tell a story he hasn't yet told. But this is kind of, this is, to me, just the kind of movie that he does in his sleep. You know, I think in 2005, obviously, he, he found something semi-new to say with Match Point that sort of felt like a new regenerated re Woody Allen, even though he was sort of repeating some things he had said previously in his filmography. But Graham, I mean, do you think that this is just the same of what you've seen from Woody Allen in the past, or do you think that... I call this, I call this film vintage Woody Allen, classic Woody Allen. It is so, this film is so funny. It's so funny from beginning to end. And, but yet, it's not just about comedy. Now, there, is, there are moments of classic Woody Allen comedy in this film, of the ridiculous comedy that, that we loved from his early days. And I would point to uh, the scene in the bar later in the film where finds out that the guy in the coma might not be the guy that he first thought was in the coma. That's that scene where it, it, it just he just pushes and pushes it and pushes it, basically removing the dead when he has the smoker buddy saying that, oh actually no uh, I thought they thought it at first was strange, but then it turned out that to be and, and you know they were talking about how bad the coma was or wasn't. I mean that that to me was just classic way out hilarious. Yeah, when they're about to tell room. I'm sorry, the uh, hospital room. It's, you know, I think it's really funny because they're like, yeah. read your book, read some of your book to them. Maybe they'll wake him yeah. up or, you know, he's blinking. Yeah, that's, that's classic. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah, look, there, I think that there is a lot more to like about this movie than to dislike. I'm really nitpicking here about this. Like I said, I enjoyed it from beginning to end. If I'm going to give it a rating, it's going to be a three out of four for sure. It might get better. And that's my rating, too. You know, I, 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 I say that it's in the lower tier for me because I don't know how often I'm going to re-watch re it. Uh, but it's a good movie. It, it really is. And I really enjoyed the resolution of the Josh Brolin storyline, even if I thought he was sort of patchy somewhat in his role. And his haircut was pretty weird, too. Yeah. 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 Ye
disagree with that. I think that, look, I think that they are held together fine. The editing doesn't really bother me, but when you go back and forth to the different storylines, I, I think to myself, well, do I really want to see what happens with Anthony Hopkins and his new prostitute wife? I mean, I, was, I mean, there were some funny moments about it, but I did not care. I did not care. Forgive me if I seem a little awkward, but I, I don't usually do this. So, right. you know. I mean, I assume it's hygienic and all. Do you know what I mean? Hygienic? Yeah. Hmm. Are you having a laugh? No, no, just checking. Oh, well, I'll give you AIDS if that's what you mean. No, no, I wasn't thinking about AIDS. God, no, no, no. There's a man in my oh, phone who's got herpes. No, relax. Oh. Don't have to worry. Yeah. All right. Basically, I'm an actress. Oh, well. Right. Yeah, I'm no. just doing this part time. Good. Look pretty. Oh. Okay. Shall we start with the business? Hmm? Oh, yeah, okay. Tell you it was 350, yeah? Yeah, okay. But well, here's uh, 500, and uh, you can keep the change, all right? Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I wasn't thinking about AIDS. <laughs> Oi. Huh? Should we get on with it? Huh? Should we get on with it? Yeah. Okay. I personally think that this is far beyond 
cops than anything else. Yeah, I'm not going to dispute that at all.
Jiu-Jitsu, who I think was actually really good in this. And from yeah, for a second, you see Josh Brolin looking across the way, and you can't really make out her face. And I'm thinking, Woody, you've got Frida Pinto, man. Let's get a clear shot on her. But I think the reason he does that, I think that's deliberate. I think the reason he does that is because it's a buildup to the first time we see her face when they sit down to have lunch, and you're just sort of blown away, <laughs> like literally. Considerably watchful eye 
on the messy saga of the Hobbit, but we who so cherish our precious Lord of the Rings trilogy finally got the news we've been waiting for years now. Seven years, if you can believe that, since Return of the King was released in 2003. The man behind it all, Peter Jackson, finally signed the deal to direct The Hobbit, which was officially greenlit and will be broken up into two movies. Also, uh, there was some casting news released this past week, which is tremendously exciting. It looks like we're finally getting some forward motion on this project. Uh, Graham, what was your reaction to the news? Have you seen the casting? And uh, are you looking forward to this movie now that it's finally happening? Well, of course, I am. I'm looking forward to the movie. And um, I, I, honestly, Corey, I'd like to ask you, because I know that you're kind of, you're an expert on just about, you know, you know who almost every actor is working today. Uh, it's usually very impressive. You've seen, you know, you, 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 you have kind of a, a deep, funny-like knowledge of who all these people are. I mean, I'm not that familiar with Martin Freeman. So I was going to ask you what, you know, you've probably seen some of his work and, I, I, I think it's promising, you know. I, I I kind of like reserve judgment until I see the, the finished product because, you know, when he was casting Lord of the Rings, a lot of these people were unknown to then. Um, Martin Freeman, though, you know, as you know, was uh, no, he doesn't know, but just keep going. Okay. Well, he he was. Uh, I guess I guess the character name was Tim in the UK version of The Office, so he's worked with Ricky Gervais pretty extensively. He played, uh, you know, he sort of hoisted another deep property on his shoulders uh, with uh, playing Arthur Dent in The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, a film that a lot of the, you know, a lot of people didn't care for, but I really did enjoy it. Graham, when I, get, when I tell you to watch The British Office, watch The British Office, okay? <laughs> like, seriously, it's like, well, I don't know who this guy Martin Freeman is. Well, had you watched that DVD that I've probably given you and told you to watch multiple times, you'd know that this is exciting news. Seriously. You know, you know it's one day that I'm going to watch all the TV shows that I need to watch. Yeah. I'm, I'm getting around to it, and uh, yeah, I need to watch. I, I'm confessing that I've seen very little of the British office. I've seen very little of the British office. I apologize for that. It's an enthusiastic play. He's the American equivalent. Jim. The Jim. He's the British Jim. I'm excited. Like I said, like I said, you would know that this is very exciting news. I think that this is the perfect project for somebody like him. Uh, he's been in a few other things that haven't really utilized his talents very well. Actually. Yeah, he's kind of funny in that. I mean, he, yeah, he, he's kind of good. But no, I mean, he is outstanding. I mean, he is yeah, definitely any worthy on the office. Truly, I mean, this guy really is responsible, along with Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant, for really establishing that source of realism that The Office became famous for, that the new one has completely abandoned. Oh my god. Yeah, I mean, let's not get into an Office discussion here, but no, again, this this is very, I, I think that this is perfect casting. I really do. Well, I mean, apart from his resemblance to Ian Holm, uh, yeah, it's really good casting. He's I'm very excited to see in this sort of this nebbishy little hobbit running around. Well, let me ask you two a question. Uh, Now that this is finally seemingly about to happen, barring some union problems over in New Zealand that I've heard about, I don't know if you saw that video on Any Cool News, uh, with this passionate interview between uh, New Zealand Television and Peter Jackson, a pretty pretty pissed-off Peter Jackson, about these disputes that are happening right now. But... Are, are both of you, Grandma, I'll start with you. Are you 
you still excited about the Hobbit movies, even now that Peter Jackson has finally signed on to direct? Because it seemed for the longest time he wasn't really as into it. He wanted to, you know, give it to his buddy Guillermo, Guillermo del Toro, uh, who, who quit it in the midst of all of those uh, new line problems and rights issues. Um, and people getting their grubby hands all over it. And it's, to me, it kind of feels like Peter Jackson is sort of just saying, oh, all right, I'll make it. Let's just get this over with. What do you think? Shocker. 
example of Woody Allen humor. It's like the stuff that you read in his prose. It's absolutely brilliant. And Gene Wilder and Woody Allen is just a complete match made in heaven. Loved it. Graham, what's your number four?
Texas Confession to Alvy. Yeah, it's fantastic. Can I confess something? I tell you this because as an artist, I think you'll understand. Sometimes when I'm driving on the road at night, I see two headlights coming toward me. Fast, I have this sudden impulse to turn the wheel quickly, head on into the oncoming car. I can anticipate the explosion, the sound of shattering glass, the flames rising out of the flowing gasoline. <clears throat> right. Well, I have, to, I have to go now, Dwayne, because I, I'm due back on the planet Earth. I think we're going to make a stinger out of that same core year number three. Uh, my number three, uh, like I said, I tried to stick away and stay away from Woody Allen performances. I failed with this one. Uh, but I think it's his most un... Well, it, it is a Woody Allen character, but it's modulated, I guess, enough that it's it's really, really great. It's Woody Allen and Broadway Danny Rose, probably the funniest I think he's ever been uh, in one of his films, uh, playing this... Uh, I don't know. I don't know the best way to describe it. Playing a, a huckster Broadway agent, yeah, like who's fallen on hard times, um, who gets involved with uh, a mafia wife, uh, played by Mia Farrow, who's also very, very funny. Uh, and they go on the run, and it's it's a great looking movie. It's consistently funny. Another one of my favorite of his films. I totally agree. Mia Farrow is very funny in that movie. It seems like he like challenged her to rise to the occasion and play the Diane Keaton role for a change, and she really did. She's fantastic. My number three is Dory from Stardust Memories, played by Charlotte Ramplin. One of his most complicated and one of his scariest characters to date, but I just really love that first scene, I guess, that you get, or the, the initial meeting scene. It might be later after we've seen her character, but when they meet on the beach and she's reading a book, and again, we have that off-screen technique that Woody Allen um, implements where he sort of comes on to her and meets her for the first time. He's the director of the film. He asks her what she's reading. It's just a really nice scene. And then as the movie goes on, we see that she has emotional and psychological problems. And she's rather crazy. And she uh, accuses him of coming on to her, like, 13-year-old cousin or little sister or something like that. And I think it's just, it's it's strong, very strong. I wish they'd work together again. That's great. That's great. It's fine. That's good stuff. Brian, your number two. would be 
it's it's maybe the most obvious pick, behind, <coughs> excuse me, behind someone we might hear about a little later. But I think that this is arguably the the best performance of Sean Penn's career. And also in a Woody Allen movie, he's hilarious. He's uh, heartbreaking, uh, as we find out as the movie goes along. It's just a, it's just a beautiful performance. It's just a it's a clinic in acting. I'm I'm glad that he got the nomination the year he got it in 1999. Um, it was nice to see that the Academy was willing to recognize that performance. Kevin Spacey went on to win. It was actually a pretty uh, tough contest that year. Yeah. Really strong competition all, all across the board. But no, it, it, it really is great. It's This is a movie that I try to watch every single year because of Sean Penn's performance. It's just hilarious. You hungry? Is that a yes or a no? Yeah, me too. What? Huh? I, I, I can't read that. It's like a Chinaman. What do you want? Do you know how to write? Did you go to school? What is that? Is that a yes or a no? You're like a, you're a hard luck case. You're an orphan? You don't know? Oh, this is great. This is great. I get a damn mute orphan halfway. I get all the winners. Were you always like this, born like this, or did somebody drop you on your head, or, or what? Come on, Gracie's hungry. Let's go get some clams or something, hey, huh? Can we switch for a while? No. What's the matter with you? That's my number two, Graham. You're number one. Well, you know, I feel the same way about Ender Ray, and, and that film is probably my, I mean, it, it probably is my favorite Woody Allen movie. Um, it's hard to say that because I have so many favorites, but I just want to, one line that just sticks out to me is Steve Phillips and Antimony that, I mean, you can't say that I'm in this show, show this week, because I'll walk home. And one, one thing I do want to highlight too, Graham, is unless this is your number one, is when uh, he is telling her that they can't spend any money. They're on a budget now, and she's giving him a birthday present. And he says, I'll let you give me this one. And when he opens the gift and sees what it is, it's just a, it's just a perfect moment. It's a gift. That it's, it's something that he's always wanted. And, of course, the Met the Morning is equally as good. But Sean Penn just really delivers there. But is, is this your number one, Graham? No, it's not. Uh, okay. My number one from a 1979 film, Manhattan. And my number one Woody, Woody Allen character of all time is Wallace Shawn as Jeremiah in Manhattan. Her play, Diane Keaton's ex-husband, who she builds up as this man that, that taught her so much intellectually and sexually. And then by a chance encounter, they run into him at a clothing store in the city, and it turns out that Jeremiah, this sexual and intellectual dynamo, is none other than Wallace Shawn. And then Woody Allen says, that was Jeremiah, that little emoculant, who's dancing the blood. He's quite devastating. <laughs> Jeremiah, this is my friend, uh, Isaac Davis. Hi. Hi. to meet you. Hi. Oh, my God, this is so incredible. I, it's incredible, I know. I'm just in town for a few days. There's yeah. a kind of a symposium on semantics. Well... And you're just looking so great. I just, uh... You, you're so thin. You lost a lot of weight, didn't well, you? Well, uh... It's I have an exercise machine. Well, you really look good. Really good. God. Well, 
I'm a bit late, but uh, it's just so nice seeing you. And, it's great. Uh, you know, I read an article by you in uh, in the Atlantic. Oh I'm shit! Brecht. I know, I know, Resch. Well, you know, I mean, I always was a sucker for Germanic theater. <laughs> well, <laughs> just okay. great. Okay. Well, well, God. Okay. Bye. So long. Bye, gentlemen. Bye. Bye. God, what a surprise! I cannot get over it. My ex-husband, and mm -hmm. he does—he really does look a lot thinner. He looks yeah. great. Well, he, you certainly fooled me. I mean, I what was mean? shocked because that's not this is not what I expected. What did you expect? <clears throat> I don't know. You said you—you you know, you had always led me to. You said that, that he was a great ladies' man. Yeah, that I he, did. That he opened you up sexually. So, you know, so, so I'm, you know, and then this little homunculus is. You know, I, uh, He's quite was, devastating. Really. That's a great pick. There's a lot of like that's a fun scene. What's your what's your number one? Number one, uh, Mark Landau, Crimes and Misdemeanors. Judah, you talk about a, a, a master class in acting. I think the last scene in that movie is a master class in acting. One of the best written scenes uh, in Woody Allen's entire career. I think that the movie thematically is probably his most taught, his strongest uh, from an intellectual standpoint. Um, and Martin Landau is so good as the sort of troubled dentist whose extramarital affairs fit in uh, in over his head morally uh, in a way that he never expected. But, but man, the ending of that movie is just so good. It's such a gut punch uh, from what, for what it implies and, you know, for, from Landau's performance there. It is great. And we, we always talk about what is Woody Allen's best movie, and most people are going to refer to Annie Hall. It is the quintessential Woody Allen movie, but there are very good arguments to be made for Crimes and Misdemeanors as his best movie. When I watch it, I think that to myself. Yeah, I really do. That I assume this is the best thing he's ever done, and it might be. It really might be, but he has so many. Uh, I think that he sort of has, again, to use this term, this Mount Rushmore of Woody Allen movies, where you've got Annie Hall, Manhattan, and Her Sisters and Crimes and Misdemeanors, where it just doesn't get any better than that. And then for, like, if you're making a top five, there's one that just kind of rotates in for me personally. And that one or one of them that does rotate into my number one spot from time to time features my favorite Woody Allen character ever, and that's Jack from Husbands and Wives, played by Sidney Pollack. And what I think is a brilliant performance that went unnoticed by the Academy back in, I believe it was 1992, right? Uh, Judy Davis, I think, got a nomination for this movie. Uh, deserved as well. But Sidney Pollack, I, you know, I never really knew of him as an actor until I saw Eyes Wide Shut, and then I went back and watched Husbands and Wives sometime later. And this is a guy who could just flat out act. He really could. He brought this really sort of do domineering energy to his performances where he, you know, he was kind of an unpredictable guy on screen. A lot of the times he played similar characters, and he sort of brought that similar tone and edge every single time. But here, to me, it's it, it's it's the best he's ever been. And, um, you know, he, go, he goes at it with Woody from time to time on screen with Mia Farrow and especially with Judy Davidson and, and later in a scene with Liam Neeson, another great Woody Allen character in that movie. But he's just this really... Uh, great example of a broken man who has walked out. Uh, he's kind of an earlier version of Anthony Hopkins' character, and you will meet a tall, dark stranger, but just uh, this guy who has lost everything uh, by his own choice, actually, it was probably his idea to split up with the Judy Davis character who, who he had been married, who he had been married to for like roughly 20 years, I would imagine. But it, it's wonderful. It's a great film. I know that Corey and our friend Nascalici have made their thoughts public that they don't think that this is one of Woody Allen's best movies, but I would argue that this is in the top 
tier of his greatest works ever, and Sidney Pollack is great in it. Why are you doing this? This is not our it's, business. Why isn't it our business? They're our closest friends. Hey, there, are you looking for one little answer? There is no one traumatic event. You know that. People grow apart. It's a lot of little personal oh, things. Now stop it. This, this is just Judy. Judy. Well, what's she so upset for? Judy, oh, she what's... She cares about you. I, well, I care about you, too. Hey, hey, Judy, hey, we're fine, okay? Judy. We want to do this. This is crazy. Uh, he's very good at it. I mean... I love the movie, but he's very good. You need to rewatch it today. Apparently, I do. Yeah, well, Corey, since we're running out of time here, um, let's go ahead and just jump into our DVD picks and start to conclude things. But before we do that, I want to encourage people to jump over to uh, one of our favorite shows on filmspotting.net, where they had a, a similar show. They did their top five Woody Allen scenes, and it was actually the the, one of the co-hosts, Adam Kempenar, who's been on the show before, and subbing in for Maddie Robinson was director Ed Burns, Edward Burns, who made the Brothers McMullen, and she's the one. And they get very in-depth, and they drop some fairly obscure scenes here and there, and they obviously love and know their Woody Allen very well, so I encourage people to go over there and listen to it. If you're a Woody Allen fan, it's a great listen. But really fast, again, before we move on, did either of you have any honorable mentions you want to throw out there? The one that jumps to mind, or two that jumps to, jump to mind, uh, Tracy Ullman and Elaine May in Small Time Crooks. They're great. I think those are great comic performances. Yeah. Graham, your honorable mentions? I'm going to say Jenna Jones as Helena, and you want me to call Dark Stranger. Wow. I, I think that this is one of the richest characters we've seen from Woody Allen in a long time, and, and um, I think the performance is incredible. Oscar-worthy, Oscar-nomination-worthy, to say the least. But the writing and the way it's just, that the character itself is crafted is just Excellent, and I think that it speaks to this. Um, you know, when we have a movie, usually one of two things happens either the wicked thrive and succeed, or and the innocent are punished, or the, the opposite, where uh, the wicked are punished and the innocent went out. He can kind of divide those in, in you know, all, a lot of those movies in the theater, one of those categories. And I think that the only called our strangers one where the wicked are punished in the end. And Oriana basically says that the only way to get through life. And to be happy is to is to embrace whatever illusions that you can that hide the, the harsh realities of life. Because if you if there's no escape from the harsh realities, so if you just pretend they're not there and embrace what you know these cults or, or any concept of reincarnation, that's really the only way that you're going to be able to get through life and be happy. Because the harsh realities are there and they're unescapable. Well, my honorable mentions, I have a fairly long list, and this doesn't even begin to sort of scratch the surface. Maxwell from a Midsummer Night Sex comedy played by Tony Roberts. Tony Roberts deserves special mention here on this list. He's a Woody Allen all-star. Ron Rifkin in Husbands and Wives is hilarious. He greets Juliette Lewis and Woody Allen at the bottom of her uh, apartment. Tony Lacey in A. Hall, Paul Simon, I think he's great. Eve from Interiors, of course. Tom Baxter from The Purple Rose of Cairo, the other. Jeff Daniels character. Lester from Crimes and Misdemeanors. Alan Alda is oh, off the chain. I made my wish. Yeah. And uh, John Malkovich's clown in Shadows and Fog, a pathetic <laughs> character. And Chris Wilton, John Therese Myers, Match Point. That rounds out my list. That's, that's a good list. Real quick, man. Now, John Malkovich in Shadows and Fog is a totally pathetic. He's, he's a bad guy at first, but then once he sees the face, right, right. His, yeah, he's redeemed. He, he can tell that he's going to be a great father. He's actually a good person underneath. Yeah, but before wow, that, it's just, God. yeah. That's a good movie, though. That's, a, that's an underrated film. Definitely. Well, we're going we're gonna to turn to DVD picks right now. Uh, Graham, before I do my thing, are there any DVDs out there you want to recommend to our listeners, either newly 
least or your personal cue? No, and my cue and I've got it from Netflix is the movie from uh, the, the director that, that gave us a profit once this year's flash last year's uh, most of the highly acclaimed film. Uh, it's called The Beat That My Heart Skips. Uh, it actually features the actor that plays Caesar, uh, the crime boss, in, uh, in The Prophet as uh, one of the, the key characters. So The Prophet made me want to look into this director, some more of this director's work, and uh, looking forward to checking it out. Yeah, I've been intending to see that myself, so let us know how that is. New releases, uh, as I said last week, this past week, you can check out Nicole Holop Center's Please Give, which I do highly recommend. Uh, other than that, last week was kind of a dud, so let's get ahead to Tuesday. On Tuesday, you can check out one of the best movies of 2010 so far, finally on DVD and Blu-ray, that is Deborah Branick's Winter's Bone, featuring shattering performances from, from Jennifer Lawrence, who would be my pick at this moment to walk away with the Academy Award for Best Actress, and John Hawks, a TV veteran most people seem to know from Deadwood. Uh, they're both terrific. It's a terrific-looking movie about uh, poverty in the Appalachians, and uh, it's, it's as thrilling as any big-budget Hollywood movie you will see. Uh, I can't recommend it highly enough. Also on DVD Blu-ray on Tuesday, The Girl Who Played With Fire, the second in the Stig Larson adapted trilogy uh, about Elizabeth Salander, played by Numi Rapace, who, for my money, is as good in the second film as she was in the very highly regarded first film, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. So check both of those out. They're good. And for me, other than my occasional horror movie leading up to Halloween, and this week it's going to be Stephen King's Cujo on Blu-ray, so I'm looking forward to that. I've put the movies aside at home for now, and I'm finally catching up on this past season of Mad Men, and I've got about five episodes to go, but this really might be its strongest season yet. John Hamm is a lot to win the Emmy this year. He's awesome. And opening nationwide in Tuscaloosa at the Cop Hollywood 16 this week, Clint Eastwood's supernatural drama here after a core. You've seen that. It's terrible. I don't even know what to say. Like, it's so bad that, like, if I thought you should see it, we should devote a whole show to talking about how bad it is, but don't see it. It's not worth it. Don't put yourself through it. It's nearly unendurable. It really is. Paranormal Activity 2 is also playing in Tuscaloosa. Corey's too scared to go see that because he's a little baby. In limited release, and somehow in Tuscaloosa, and also down in Orange Beach or Destin, I think. You will meet a Yeah, you will meet a tall, dark stranger directed by Woody Allen. We should note that also playing in Birmingham now are Catfish. That's at the Lee Branch Rave Theater, and also at the Vestavia Hills Rave in Birmingham, Never Let Me Go, and Waiting for Superman. So, really, there are six perfectly acceptable options in Alabama this weekend. I'm so excited. I Catfish is, uh, Catfish is, I would put that, I've seen Never Let Me Go and Catfish, I would go for Catfish, uh, which I think right now, has a, there's a strong chance that it'll be on my top ten list at the end of the year. And playing in Montgomery at the Capri Theater is Animal Kingdom, that Australian crime drama. I don't know if that's available on demand or not. No, no. That's not. It's a Sony Pictures Classics. Okay. I'm so excited to see Never Let Me Go. I'm a big fan of that. We might talk about that next week. Yeah, I hope so. Real quick, Corey, I I saw that you tweeted that you were disappointed and I'm still here. Yeah, not a fan. Not not a fan. But Casey Affleck, he's he's good, but the movie itself is just a little too whiny, repetitive, and self-aggrandizing. I disagree. One of the best movies of the year so far. Well, I, well I don't, I'm speechless. Anyway, uh, you can email any of your feedback to 90.7movies at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at aspectradio or twitter.com slash aspectradio. You can download this and other episodes of the show on our blog at aspectradio.tumblr.com. Tumblr.com.
is expanding. The universe is expanding? Well, the universe is everything, and if it's expanding, someday it will break apart, and that will be the end of everything. What is that your business? Money, mine, seven.